0: Today's Your Stories is sponsored by Jackbox Games. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack. Now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info.
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know
2: that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about?
0: Hi everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and welcome back to part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories Podcast, featuring the theme Authentic, as chosen and co-curated by friend of the group and creator of Seanimals, Sean Smith. Sean, help us put together a really fantastic night of speakers. This episode, you'll hear Chef Juan Kim, game creator Tim Swindle, director of the Read Write Library Chicago Nell Taylor, Mr. Sean Smith himself, and Chicago comedian and longtime friend of the show Charlie Madsen in one of his last Chicago performances. Uh, also, myself, Dwight Hassler, and Jim Snedeker bring the rock. Uh, guys, this is a busy, busy week for the Nerdalogs, so here is everything that's going on. Uh, Thursday, we'll be at the Adler Planetarium's Adler After Dark for their game night, running demos of our new card game, Fisticuffs. Uh, Adler After Dark is super fun. You might remember we recorded your stories there a couple months ago. Uh, we're really happy to go back. Friday, we're representing our PAX guest show and having a Fistikus pickup party for all the local people who backed our Kickstarter for the game. Uh, The show starts around 8, but the party kicks off a little earlier at some office. 1917 North Elston in Chicago. It's all totally free, so if you got a game online or you just want to see the show, that's awesome. You can also buy copies of the game there uh sunday night is our next your stories recording also at some office Uh, we've got special guest peaches and hot sauce who did a fantastic episode with us last year and are also part of the chicago podcast co-op that sponsors us uh we're settling on a theme for that episode tonight so if you think you might want to tell a story watch our facebook page tomorrow for more info Uh, besides that there's the usual slew of nerdwalk podcasts to fill your ear holes with including Talking Games on Tuesday, MBSing on Wednesday, and The Catch-Up on Thursday. Uh, thanks again to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for their sponsorship, and thanks to our dude for the episode Jackbox Games. Uh, so with all that out of the way, please enjoy the show. All right, Jim, come on back. I teased on Facebook that Dwight made us learn... The worst song that we have ever performed at this show. (laughs) Without hyperbole, so I said we were doing artists that, you know, even though they had a lip sync, they were actually they did they were good. That is not the case here. I want to point out that we were going to do Ashley Simpson, and then Claire Claire got stranded in Maine, so we're not doing Ashley Simpson. What we are doing is iconic and horrible. The number of key modulate. If you're a musician, the number of key modulations in this song, it's utter nonsense. Like Tim's Game, utter Yay! nonsense. But Tim's Game is much better than this garbage song. So, so let
2: me just say one
0: thing. Because yeah. <coughs> all those other artists, you know, if you saw them really live, they
2: are authentic. Yeah. But this next artist, it wasn't even them on the album singing the songs. I
0: realize it took like six people to make one really terrible song and uh, we're going to make you all listen to it and this is our closer one, two, three, four
1: To good love, to satisfy your pride. Now you wish that you should have her, and you feel like such a fool, you let her walk away. Now we just don't feel the same. Gotta blame it on something, gotta blame it on something, gotta blame it on something. Yeah. Blame it on the rain that was falling, falling, blame it on the stars that shine at night. Whatever you do, Whatever don't you put do. the blame on you, blame it on the rain, yeah, yeah. you can blame it on the rain. said you were wrong, but no, you couldn't do that, had to prove you was strong, if you hadn't been so blinded, she might still be there with you. Gotta blame it on something Gotta blame it on something something. Blame it on the rain that was falling, falling Blame it on the stars that shine at night
0: This is worse than what happened to the real Milly Vanilli. the <laughs> show. <laughs> uh this gentleman uh told me to say that ninety-nine percent of the time he does what he says he's gonna do, which is a fucking great quality, guys. This is Juan Kim. Woo!
6: So, uh, as he mentioned before. I am a little, finding this flu fever thing, so if I, like, spontaneously vomit on you, I'm sorry. Preemptive apology. It would be like a, a Gallagher show, you know, but with vomit, it would be really cool. I didn't eat anything, so it just be mostly water. hope that's okay. So, um, I've totally been on TV before. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Hard to believe. Uh, we'll, we'll call this channel the uh, Non-Food Network. And for the sake of the story, uh my name will be J-U-A-N-WAN. <laughs> Not the you know, proper way when you see a guy whose eyes closed constantly. Um, so I realized something about myself when I went on this show. Um, the show was called uh Throat Kitchen with host uh with host um Farton Brown. Right. <laughs> I thought it was a really stupid show. I hated that show. Um, they asked me to be on it before. I said, no, um, I have too much work. Where do you find these fucking cooks that can just take, just drop, drop whatever they're doing, just fly out, right? So, I basically told them to F off in the email and they never wrote me back, wrote back to me, go figure. And then three years later, they must have been desperate. And then they asked again. They said they stole my, I, you know, my, they didn't steal my identity. They got my files from someone else, blah, blah, blah. So I said, I need a vacation. So I love free trips. And I said, oh, sure, I'll take that trip. It's in L.A. I'll go visit our friend uh, Jose out there. I visit him and Kim I haven't seen in years. That alone will be worth it to me. So I said, hell yeah, I'll go do it. I'll get cut the first round. And I'll go check out L.A. with a homie. It'll be all good. Free hotel, free everything. So the premise of the show is, if you guys don't know, is you get three rounds you have to make one dish per round, appetizer, entree, dessert. And then you, uh basically, each round comes with sabotages. You start off with 26,000, because this isn't that show that I'm talking about.
5: <laughs>
6: and um, you can buy sabotages to essentially fuck each other over and try to mess their dish up. So... <laughs> the other three people I remember, other three contestants, you know, we were supposed to, we are in the green room, we're all hanging out, talking, getting to know each other. Hey, what do you do? Where are you from? You know, hey, where do you work? Blah, blah, blah. I was really quiet. I already was like set on not winning, not giving a shit. <laughs> just being like, just going through the motions, I'm going to be really quiet. Everyone else is really talkative and Gabby and very, you know, Fart throw kitcheny, you know, uh, being very like, oh yeah, you know, I love cooking, I love food. It's like, blah, food is to me, blah. And of course, that's what food is, right? I mean, it's not just basic nutrition and sustenance, it's just, you know, it's this you know, butter, blah. Um, see, that as a cook, when yelpers say good or bad things, that's what it all sounds like to me, as a professional cook. When people are like, ah, oh, it was like this transcendental experience, I'm like, you no. Know, it, you shut it out That's what it is And that's what food And beverage will always be Something you shit out at the end of the day It's, it's creative, it's awesome Yes, who knew cardamom with cinnamon Was that fucking good, right? Who knew? Um, so these guys are all doing that shit And, you know, I just had it in my mind To just, you know, go through it Eat the free catering Because the catering in LA is really good uh, Visit some restaurants and then uh, just be done with it. So we go to the first round, and I'm just being quiet. And the producers on these shows, they really want to, you know, pigeonhole you and turn you into a character and say, you're going to be this guy. You're going to be the mean guy. You're going to be the guy that he picks on. You're going to be the person that, um, you know, antagonizes this person. Oh, hey, what do you think about chef's hat? You know, what do you think about the stupid glasses? uh the egg you want. You don't see any of this when you watch the non-food network, Right. Maybe something on, like, VH1 or something, but not on that channel. Not that classy channel over there. Um, so the first thing they do, the minute we get called down, first thing the producers ask the first guy, hey, what do you think of Juan's pants? <laughs> and, of course, he says, well, they look stupid. Whatever. I was like, oh, jeez. That was harsh, because I really like these pants, right? Um, so, but I wanted to keep quiet. I was like, I'm not going to play into this, you know, Whatever. And then the other contestants roll in. They, you know, do the whole motion. Uh, long story short, I just I lost it. I, you know, I didn't know who else to be but myself, and I just absolutely lost it. I went straight like sarcastic Midwesterner kitchen on on their asses, and just basically tore every single contestant a new one. I bought all the right sabotages. did all the right moves. Um, I just basically tore them apart. Uh, not to be cocky or anything, it's just I know how to play the game. But I know how to tear people down because we're all very insecure people in the Midwest here.
5: <laughs>
6: uh, despite what you guys say about yourselves, we are insecure. We know how to insult people very well for some reason. And if you're from another region, like the West Coast, like, you know, their sarcasm, they don't have sarcasm. They're just very happy. They have good weather. <laughs> they have good produce year round. Like, they have nothing to be angry about. Um. <laughs> So, and it came down to the final round it was just me and this guy uh, from Portland he he was you know during the green during the little off time when they were resetting the room we had you know we had a chance to like really talk you know they were you know most of the conversation would be like oh my god like who knew you were this mean one and, like we didn't know I was like well you know you shouldn't have made fun of my fucking pants right um <laughs> uh, that's like that's like a really touchy sensitive subject to me um <laughs> But then, you know, I come to find out he's actually a really nice guy, you know, despite me calling him a fat 80s wrestler, despite calling him, like, a really ugly lesbian, even though he was a dude with a beard, you know. I called him all this terrible shit on TV, but um, I remember him really talking about his, like, tribulations and why his reasons for coming into the show off camera, and I remember him distinctly telling me he had a, a neck cramp. And I was like, man, that sucks, you must be in constant pain He's like, well, I got tons of Vicodin And I'm like, I'm like, dope, can I get a few, first of all And that's terrible that you have to go through this that way I just came out here for fun to go visit friends and hang out And you're really here because you really eat the money, it sounds like um, But I remember getting back on to the final round And then one of the sabotages that you could buy Was a 15-pound uh, colander, metal strainer Full of fruit that you have to wear and make dessert with Oh, no. And I had enough. And I had enough money to like outbid him all the way. And I was I was I was saving my money throughout the whole thing because I'm like, I can cook with a clothes steamer. I can cook digging my own clams. I can cook with you know hot dogs, but it's a hamburger. I could do that. That's fine. You know, it's what you do when you're poor. <laughs> you know, you're like. <laughs> You know, you're like, oh, what happened to have in the fridge? You got lettuce. Well, we're going to make a pizza with lettuce. Cool. Let's figure it out, right? Um, so there's nothing you need to me, But I remember, despite all the cameras being on us, I just remember his face. It was just sheer terror when he saw the the calendar, when he saw what it was supposed to be. It was just like, just shock. And I, and I unfortunately, like, made eye contact with him. And that's the moment I realized, I'm like, fuck, I care. And, I let him outbid me, and I ended up wearing the, the calendar, and, um, I still beat the shit out of him. But I just want to know, I just want to let him know that I care enough to like, humiliate myself, and still beat him, and, not, further injure his neck. And, um, all the money's gone. It was spent on drugs and alcohol. And, Um, To this day, the guy doesn't know that I did it because I knew about his neck problem. And he still, he still hates me. Um, And it's okay though because I know who I am inside and I know they do give a shit and it sucks to give me a shit. That's all. Thank you.
3: Thank you,
0: Juan. J-U-A-N. Juan Kim. Appreciate that, (laughs) guys. Don't go watch the Not Food Network. Try something else, like maybe the Food Network. Right? That one's safe. All right. No, no one's biting on that. Cool. Man, oh man. Good thing I'm not a stand-up. I just host this show. Cool, so coming up next to the stage, uh, this gentleman is the co-creator of the game Utter Nonsense, which is now available in Targets Nationwide. But you know where else it's available? It's Pastimes in Niles, Illinois, and I'm just throwing that out there, cause it's next to a Walmart, but it's
7: better than a big box store. This is Tim Swindle. <laughs> the Target's cool. Target's cool. So, uh, so my story uh, starts a little over five years ago. Uh, it was a, a cold, snowy night in the um, Rocky Mountains of Colorado. And uh, I was with my buddy Dave, who uh, is also the creator of Utter Nonsense, with me. Um, and uh, we were in a hot tub. And uh, we had uh, we'd had a couple uh, too many fat tires. And uh, it somehow had come to light that we had both wanted to... Uh, learn how to break dance. <laughs> so, I was like, wait, you wanna learn how to break
0: dance? He's like, you wanna learn how to break dance? get the fuck out.
7: And, uh, so it was like this eureka moment. And, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, those of you that can see me up here, I, I don't look like your you know, stereotypical B boy. Uh, you know, at the time I was, you know, 30 years old, uh, you know, white, white guy unathletic from the suburbs. And, um, so anyway, unlike most, you know, uh, kind of drunken promises that typically go by the wayside, uh we actually got back to Chicago and uh we 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 went forward with it um so we were like well what do you do you know like we googled you know how, learn how to breakdance <laughs> and uh so uh the google machine led us to this inner city rec center on the north side of Chicago called alternatives and apparently this was like the epicenter for the breakdance community so so we were like all right let's go um so we uh we went up there on a on a saturday and um and we roll in and i if i if memory serves me i was probably wearing like a pink polo shirt and dave had some like pastel plaid shorts on um and uh so we roll in and it's like kind of straight out of a movie where uh the music was like bumping and like we roll in and all of a sudden the music stops it's like
3: who the fuck are these white boys?
7: Uh, And we just stuck out like total sore thumbs. A lot of dirty looks uh, initially. And, uh, you know, but we were like, fuck it, we're here. Let's figure this thing out. So we went around and we were just asking people like, hey, like, you know, we're these like nerdy white guys that want to learn how to break dance. Like, can you help us out? And eventually they led us to, uh, they're like, you guys need to meet Black Attack. And, And everyone's like, Black Attack is the man. And so we're like, well, where do we find Black Attack? And so we eventually, like, you know, hunted Black Attack down. And, uh, his real name is CJ. Black Attack, surprisingly, is not his, uh, that's just his, <laughs> that's just his B-boy name. Uh, so we met with, uh, we met with Black Attack and, uh, we, we started doing lessons. So we'd show up there, um, you know, a couple times a week, whatever, and, uh, start learning the moves, top rocks, things like that. For those of you that B-boy out there and know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> And uh, so as we were doing it, though, we you know we were kind of like, all right, this is fun, this is cool, uh, but we wanted kind of like to have like a mission. You know, it's like, what are we trying to do here? Like, is there going to be some like ultimate battle we're going to enter into? <laughs> or, you know, what, what are we going to do? So uh, we had a, a wedding coming up in um, four months' time, and uh, it was one of our best friends, and we were like, wouldn't it be awesome? if we did a choreographed breakdance routine for all of our friends, because nobody knew we were doing this. This was, like, totally top secret. Like, we were kind of embarrassed, didn't really know if it was cool or not. Um, so we said, you know, yes, let's do it. So we made that the goal. So literally, you know, two to three times a week for four months straight, um, went up to Alternatives, met with Black Attack, uh, like, learned this, you know, crazy choreographed breakdance routine. Um, so, you know, uh, fast forward, we get to the wedding, um, shortly after dinner time it's like you know music starts uh we uh, we come out and we we call ourselves the uh the Quad City DJs um, <laughs> remember us uh, you know if you're if you're looking for entertainment for weddings funerals and divorces uh we're your guys and so we uh so we we did it we busted out a uh, 8 minute uh choreographed break dance routine uh you can look it up on YouTube um, and uh I'm proud to say we nailed it uh, we, we, we obviously shocked all of our friends and family and they were like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was one of the most fun experiences of my life. I'll be honest with you. We continued to do it and, uh, made some really good, uh, friendships and relationships along the way. You know, going back to that, that, that group of people that we'd initially gone when we went to the center, um, and we were such outcasts or we felt like we did, uh, couldn't have been more, uh, that, that couldn't be less true. I should say. Um, um, mm-hmm this community, this breakdance community is like, they're very artistic and like, they're very welcoming of, you know, outsiders. So, um, we made some great friends, still friends with Black Attack today, um, have aspirations to do bigger things actually with breakdancing. I'm sad to say I no longer breakdance. Um, it is, it's a, it's a young man's sport. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you know, had dreams of grandeur of like spinning on my head and doing all kinds of things like that. You know, we got, you know, just good enough to not embarrass ourselves, but like still look like we're in slow motion the whole time, um, <laughs> but uh, like I said, you know, I had a blast with it, and kind of, you know, uh, what Harper had mentioned, mentioned earlier about... You know, when, you know, he does things now that his, like, you know, 16-year-old self would think he was, like, cool. And, you know, I think that um, I could kind of relate in that sense with, you know, doing this. Where, like, you know, when I was 16, it's probably something I would have loved to do. But I I was insecure. I didn't think it was, like, cool enough or whatever. But as I've gotten older, I'm just, like, very comfortable in my own skin. And I can be authentic. I can be who I want to be. And I don't really give a fuck what anybody thinks other than what makes me happy. Um, so, you know, that being said, you know, that's uh that's my story. So
0: thank you tim thank you for giving hope to all unathletic 30-something white men from the suburbs if there are any of you out there i don't know maybe maybe just one or two i don't know guys coming up next to the stage the founder and director of read write library nell taylor
4: So I'm going to preface this with the understanding that I I hope we will all agree to that a terrible Robert Altman movie is still a Robert Altman movie. <laughs> I went to film school, and it was one of the absolute worst decisions of my life. <laughs> I have a lot of like young kids in art school who will come to interview me and one knows sort of like, how do you get into an arts organization? Um, how do you work in the arts? And I will tell them, get out of art school.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: I started in screenwriting. And I was 19 years old. I was the only girl in the entire screenwriting program, and I was the youngest by about 10 years. So everyone else in the screenwriting program besides me, which was like maybe all 11 of us, um, they were writing three-hour epic sci-fis and Rob Schneider vehicles about people running like one way, the wrong way, up and down an escalator with Donkey Dick. Uh, uh, This is real, this that's like that was someone's like thesis Uh, so as somebody who lives a lot in my head and was really interested in like all kinds of meta narratives and postmodern experimental this and that like it was totally the wrong program for me Um, so I started trying to find like you know okay I'm going to graduate in a couple years I'm already here this is wrong but they're going to hand me my degree and I can just get out of this Um, so what can I do So I ended up getting into editing. I did an internship um, at a post house. I got super into Avid. I learned all these other things. It was amazing. Um, I got really, really into critical theory. I found out that I could be a lot more creative in my theory classes where I was doing a comparison, for example, of Cassavetes to Altman um, and going off on all these research tangents and emailing my professor in the middle of the night being like, I have this crazy theory. Is this something I can actually do? And they'd be like, yeah, you can totally do that. Um, because when I would talk to my screenwriting professors about my crazy ideas, they'd be like, okay, but how can we boil this down to a three-minute pitch? <laughs> uh, which I struggled with. Um So I also was just always in my life really into art direction and drawing. And so at this point, I was only in film school for three years, so I was like all over the place. And one of the secrets of working in an art department on a movie is that most of the people who work in them have no idea how to draw. Uh So if you end up Interviewing or potentially being considered for a production assistant role, if you can actually just whip out your sketchbook and be like, hey, I can draw people that reasonably look like people, um, there's actually going to be a lot of work for you. Mm-hmm. So, this was something that I got into like maybe two years or so into school. And so, I wound up working on one of Robert Altman's last movies, um, which was The Company. It was his movie that was, um, really weirdly in that typical Robert Altman way, like really great, Uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell was in it, Um, and, uh, but it was written by Nev Campbell. Um, So it was like that kind of like weird, like how you wind up with Popeye. Um, You know, this was sort of that movie except for ballet. Um, And so I walk in on my very first day and I'm working in the art department as a production assistant. And there's a role of carpeting because we're working in this crazy old... Do you, do you guys know where Elephant and Castle is downtown, like where the uh, subway turns? So that was where we were filming. Um, that building at that point was totally empty. We had three different floors of it. And in the art department, we called one the mold floor, the asbestos floor, and the lead floor. <laughs> and that's how we knew where to go for a shoot on any given day. And that's where we were building our sets. Um, whenever you would get on the elevator, there would be a sign on it that said, make sure you have your cell phone. And I eventually ended up drawing a uh, skeleton that would sit next to that and and be on there to really just kind of hammer that home. (laughs) And so I walk in, and it's this amazingly Baroque, gorgeous building that's probably been decaying and empty for the past 30 years, as Buildings in the Loop did before, like, you know, the mid-aughts. And I immediately trip over a carpet and fall flat on my face, and so all of the other production assistants and grips and gaffers come running over to me um, because they assume i 'm a ballerina because that 's who this was about. It was about Joffrey ballet dancers, and i 'm standing there thinking, "How in the world can you think that i 'm a ballerina?" <laughs> Granted, I was 60 pounds lighter at the time, which is not something that I should be. Like, I I was literally all bones. I've been run over by a bus, literally, and, like, nothing broke. So that goes to show you, like, how much of me is just, like, solid. And so I get up, and, like, all these people are fawning over me. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm just a PA. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. (laughs) <laughs> and so I asked someone though I'm like why, why would you possibly think that And what they told me was that The ballet dancers on the set Spend so much of their time Looking ahead always because they're used to spinning in circles and hitting their point over and over and over again, that the ballet dancers never looked down, so they were constantly falling <laughs> all over the set <laughs> all the time and setting the schedule back and injuring themselves. And so this ended up being the next three months of my life because no one pays attention to anyone in the art department. You know, you're not really there. But when you fall over and injure yourself as much as I do, everyone thinks you're a ballerina. Uh, <laughs> so... Where we would have lunch every day was uh, in a place that I like to call Miss Havisham's Mexican restaurant. No. Oh, no. Um, it, no, really. It was, it looked like a, a chili's or a chichi's, like something that was just like terribly out of the suburbs in the 80s. And it was on one of these floors. Um, and because the building had been abandoned for I don't know how many years, nobody had touched it for a very, very long time. And everything was still totally intact. And it was covered in dust. And there were all these gorgeous paper decorations that were shredded and hanging from the ceiling. So I got the rare pleasure of standing in line for lunch ahead of Malcolm McDowell in line for taco salad. Um, during craft service one day and him assuming yet again that I was a ballerina. (laughs) Um, And so he started asking me for dieting tips and how to actually make his taco salad bowl um, to get the most nutrients out of it and to remain the skinniest, which at the time, all I had was like a metabolism. Like I I had no other plan or anything. (laughs) I I was 19. I ate like beer. Um, (laughs) So at the end of this whole thing, um, you know, I've been sort of like hanging out on the sidelines, trying to watch what happened in the film industry, observe as much as I could and just digest. And I was having all these like weird distractions of people thinking I was a ballerina and all this stuff was super hilarious and funny and wonderful, but um, I was always really afraid to talk to Bob. So Bob is, is Robert Altman. He, Bob is what everybody on set called him who was familiar with him. Um, and I'd actually, like, written all these papers on Bob because I'd just gotten out of this comparative class on Cassavetes and Altman. And so I was absolutely petrified of opening my mouth in front of him. And so finally we wrap shooting and we're on this uh, Navy Pier cruise ship, the Odyssey for our cast party, our wrap party. <laughs> And the incredibly sweet, generous line producer for the art department makes it a point to, you know, bring me up to Bob where he's been smoking pot on the deck for the last six hours. Um, As he does. Well, as he did. Um, And... Then the line producer at the art department, says, hey, Bob, you know, I want to introduce you to somebody. She's the one who's been doing all of the illustrations and the posters and putting things together on the set. Um, and she actually just took a class on you. And so I'm going up to shake Robert Altman's hand. I've just been introduced to him. He's Bob. I'm, like, meeting Bob. Um, and he shakes my hand and then grabs my arm and says, that's nice, did you learn anything as he proceeds to walk past me? And that was still one of the most like super incredible parts of that entire experience. <laughs> Seriously, because I was like actually being recognized for who I was and somebody who'd contributed something to the art department and somebody who was there to study and to learn. And even though I only had sort of that one fleeting moment and he was high out of his gourd, you know, which has produced a lot of great arts, you know, especially from him, uh, it was still an incredible experience for me because I wasn't just being seen as yet another person on the set falling over things. Thank you.
0: Thank you now. Yeah, PSA, if you haven't seen a Robert Altman film, go do it. Like after this show, though. Say, we got two more speakers, two more songs, then Robert Altman, and then work maybe tomorrow morning. I don't know. So guys, last month we said goodbye to uh, to our friend Mark Coulomb, which is very sad. We're saying goodbye again. I don't know if this is public knowledge yet, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw it out there because this is important to the introduction. Uh, and weirdly, this keeps moving, uh... So, Charlie, I met you and Mark at the very same Your Stories, and you have both become two of my favorite uh, Your Stories speakers and people that I met through the show. Not that I play favorites, but Charlie and Mark, two great guys. Um, this next gentleman, Mr. Charlie Matson, is going to come up in a second. I always felt like... Like, in the early days of the show, because this was, like, first year, I feel like you just nailed and understood what we were going for. Charlie's first story was about making elaborate, like, soap opera storylines with his action figures. And, like like, to the point where he would like cut the beard off his Lando figure but then draw it back on sometimes because sometimes like characters don't shave and they're in a bad place and they gotta get that mustache back <laughs> like to me that that was exactly what I was hoping would come out of this silly show that we did and like consistently for the last three or four years Charlie has been delivering it and he is not long for Chicago which is very sad but he's gonna be up on this stage at least one more time which is right now Charlie Matson.
2: Uh, I specifically stole washable markers In middle school uh, The red was for the blood uh, Black was for bullet holes And mustaches And blue was in case I was using laser cannons Because obviously as we all know Laser cannons are going to leave a different mark On your skin And I also did a lot of sequels With my action figures So that's why they had beards (laughs) uh so yeah this is i guess the beginning of my farewell tour um saying goodbye to anybody that's let me in the door in the past six years um i moved here uh, from alaska six years ago with a backpack and a fuckload of money (laughs)
5: uh
2: my one of my mentors said you only need two of three things to get by in life uh and if you don't have one, it's fine. So time, money, and talent. If you don't have time, have money and talent. If you don't have talent, have time and money. <laughs> and so on. That's not even my story, though. I'm sorry uh, Claire couldn't be here. Uh, it was her Facebook invite that got me into this in the first place. And the first time I came, I actually went all the way up the stairs didn't recognize anybody and ran back down the stairs and sat in my car for 10 minutes and almost didn't come so I'm glad I did Uh, I'm going to continue the art and commerce conversation which is all of us are having right now. (laughs) And that really does have a lot to do with authenticity for most of us as human beings. It's like, I really believe in this, but I would also like to feed myself from time to time. (laughs) I had a different story, but then today happened. Uh, Usually I'm a very concise writer when I'm here. It's very articulate, and I'm editing up until the last second. But um, I have spent the last, oh, most of the, this day, about 10 hours, um, at a taping of the Steve Harvey show.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm on two hours sleep. I slept on a couch at work, uh, cause I closed a bar down at 4 a.m. It's so, like, I was setting a timer. And I gotta get up and go to Steve Harvey. 7 a.m. And it was a thing on Facebook and they said there were prizes and I was like, I like prizes. And then, uh, they told, they told me they wanted me to be a speaker on the show and, um, <laughs> And anybody that's been on television or worked in all this stuff and you just see what goes into making television and film possible, it's sort of gut-wrenching to all of us that just think magic appears before you. And then, oh, oh these people are actually in space. And, you know. <laughs> and So um, I, you, being coached on how to sound real and, like, oh, tell your story again. But, like, be like, ask your question again honestly, though. And it's just like, can't I just talk? Like, no, I use this word instead. But that's not the word I would use. We use this word. Okay, fuck you.
5: <laughs> I
2: hate television. And there's just women with clipboards and headsets running around angrily and... <laughs> eight hours of like clap like you're happy like you're trained seals and it was the the episode was and this is of course why I have to talk about authenticity the episode was called what men really think (laughs) and what Steve Harvey did and you'll see this uh, maybe I should use pseudonyms so I don't get sued I don't know but uh, what he did is he got 2,000 men and put them in um, the Oriental Theater downtown in the Loop and then he put 150 women on stage and they would take turns answering and asking questions all of which was pre-prepared and nonsensical and as you can imagine a theater filled with 2,000 men, random men, of all shapes and sizes and colors, sitting for eight hours there for the prizes and to be on TV is not the best forum for gender equality discussions. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, throughout this show, when they're talking about things like, um, why did my boyfriend cheat on me with a girl that was less attractive than me? Steve's like, well, she probably does other stuff in bed. <laughs> So these guys are just like applauding. Yeah, ain't all.
5: <laughs>
2: and there's just so many all. Like the, the key phrase for eight hours is this guy going, she's crazy. Like, <laughs> why do women do that? Because they're crazy. It's like, well, I'm sure there's a reasonable discussion why she came to that point. No, she's crazy. We're on TV. We got to barrel through this. And so it was just a day of like middle America, cisgender uh, unawareness of just, you know, like, and church-going people and just that kind of stuff, but also just like this bro culture that was just, you just scrape it off your skin. I, honest to God, thought I was at a men's rights rally. And I hope that someone, because I saw a few people there that, like, had the same look I did of, oh, this isn't right. (laughs) I don't wanna I don't wanna stereotype, but there was a girl on stage with glasses and her eye rolls were like on point. And so I'm – hopefully what comes out of this, besides just good quality television, is like a really interesting anthropological study (laughs) of just like how men behave like trained seals when they're getting treats and just applauding. (laughs) I will say this though and maybe it will come across in the episode. I actually have a better opinion of Steve Harvey in the long run because like there was some stuff that he was saying. I'm like, well, that's an actual very thoughtful point of view about listening to the other people. But also – you don't have to ask for sex. Like, yeah, you do. No, no, you do you do. <laughs> no, uh, we're getting on the verge of rape, guys. Uh, and the thing I liked the most in that moment when we had to retape something three times because he was talking to a couple, and the guy's name was Renee, and the girl's name was Devin. Uh. And he kept fucking that up. <laughs> and he did like a six minute bit of like, his name's Renee? <laughs>
8: Her name the guy
5: Renee
2: and his girlfriend sitting right behind Steve and she's like yeah that's my boyfriend <laughs> and, uh, and then so then Steve did, had this moment that was beautiful where he just looked at all of us and goes all of this is fake <laughs> I'm like
5: thank you for admitting that
2: we know but thank you and you just see these guys getting angry and they're giving out they're raffling out prizes with tickets and every time a guy wins that isn't the other 2,000 men they're all like Bow! I'm barely certain that's a definition of entitlement. (laughs) So, you know, I'm moving to Los Angeles and all of these things that we're talking about with television and all the magical dreams of the movies I'm obsessed with and the hours of filming and all that stuff and just the falseness and then like the need to be rewarded for doing fucking nothing. Um, I worry about that part of it. I, I, You know, you hear about the horror stories, which is why we all live in Chicago, most of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> but... I don't think that's LA's fault. I think there's people there for that reason, but there are people in Chicago for that reason. You go downtown to the loop and there, you, you have to work hard to not give up $20 for something. You know, there's falseness and bullshit and everywhere. And so the thing that I've always said, even before I came here and it still is true is that it's not ever about where you are. It's always going to be about who you're with. And so when I move, people are going to ask like what I'm looking for in Los Angeles. And I'm looking for exactly what I have here because I know that there's the same number of beautiful people like y'all. And I just got to like find them and actually go upstairs <laughs> into the gallery <laughs> when I'm invited uh, like I did this time and make that leap. And uh, hopefully they're as willing to listen to me as you guys are right now. So, um That's my my thoughts, and I want to end this with a poem that I heard Garrison Keillor read (laughs) when I was biking to work with my jorts on, because I'm super fucking authentic. (laughs) Uh, This poem is called Driving West by Linda Paston. Through the landscape subtly changes, and the mountains are marching in place, the grasses Take on the fading yellows of the sun And cows with their sumptuous eyes Litter the fields as if they had grown there We've driven for hours through bluing shadows As if the continent itself leaned west And we had no choice but to follow the old ruts The wagons and the horses The iron snort of a locomotive We're the pioneers of our own horizons Drawn to the horizon as if it waited just for us the way the young are drawn to the future and the old to the past. Thank you.
0: The Steve Harvey Show. Charlie Madsen, everybody. Man, Charlie, sincerely thank you for going upstairs. Your stories wouldn't have been the same. Uh, We're all going to miss you, obviously. We have one more speaker tonight. Old friends, new friends. This gentleman, I believe, has been to the show two or three times, told a story last month, super great. So glad to know him. And he came here tonight, invited a bunch of people, and he's going to close up the evening. Mr. Sean Smith.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. Hi. So the first time I did this, uh, spoke, that is, um, I was amazed at how I couldn't see many uh, of the people here. This time it's a little better, so thanks, Kevin. <laughs> so uh, anyone who knows me knows that I pride myself on being a sort of uh, jack-of-all-trades, master of some. And, of course, with this comes a, uh, the, the, the potential of having a bit of an identity crisis. That is to say, when uh, uh, you're, you're, you're torn between a number of potential directions, um, all of which being perfectly interesting and, and, and acceptable, uh, you feel as if uh, you you are doing one thing one minute and, and another the next, right? Uh, and, and you keep doing this. Um, getting to a place of clarity can be uh, challenging, to say the least. Not a complaint, just a reality. So uh, I'm not always successful at reconciling this, unfortunately. Uh, at its best, it, it gets me a little derailed. At its worst, it results in me disappearing for a while um, out of, in my own mind, necessity. I also acknowledge the fact that uh, this isn't the healthiest approach, right? Um, this is not exactly sustainable, but it's how I've handled my various interests and projects for most of my adult life. Uh, but then I had a kid, a little boy named Brody, and, uh, and he's awesome. Uh, with his birth, or really with his transition from uh, blobby infant to um, to more of a human like toddler um, came a very important revelation, uh, and that's what I want to talk about today. So anyone who's a new parent or newish parent or or even uh, a new pet owner for that matter um, knows that a lot of big questions arise from the endeavor. Things like um, who do I want to be for my son, and uh, and and and. What does that really mean and uh, am I being a good parent for him um, and and what does that mean and am I being a good partner for my wife in raising our son? Um, how does all this change as he grows right um, If I have a female dog and I am her dog dad, is it weird to call her my dogger <laughs> and a lot of other things
5: <laughs> So
8: they're all fantastic questions, right? They're all big questions and the kind of thing you think about, uh, when, when you're up at night with insomnia or, or when you're at an awesome party and, and you think you're so special and you're laughing and you're drunk and then you realize my son will be up in less than four hours. Um, and you know who gives zero fucks about hangovers?
5: <laughs>
8: <laughs> Toddlers as it turns out. <laughs> uh, fair enough, but I think the biggest, most fundamental question is understanding yourself. If you're going to try to be some kind of role model for your kid, ideally you know yourself really well. And perhaps this is a given as an adult, but I don't think it's that simple, or at least I struggle with it at times. And although I can't recall who said it, you know how the old saying goes, There is no clearer path to self-actualization than being pooped on. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just it, right? So these moments of clarity that kids provide because they're kids. They know nothing about the world, and every discovery is new and incredible, and it's so special and adorable, but also sometimes maddening. But ultimately, you see the world in a new way through their eyes. So there was a very clear point when I noticed something within my son that more than the other things rocked me to my core. And while having coffee with my friend Tom, as I t- talked uh, about parenthood and how it's changed me, I was doing my best to explain this one thing, the only way that made sense to explain it. Uh, it was this. Now when my son Brody looks at me with his big blue eyes, he was no longer looking at me, but was rather looking to me. He looked to me, right to me, and shit just got real. <laughs> so I thought I was discovered as a fraud, right? No longer a secret to my son. I knew I was going uh, that he was going to use this to his advantage. That uh, that I was somehow going to pay the price. Um, maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday. But then I realized that, oh wait, he can't actually make those kinds of complex connections just yet. So I had time. Okay. Cool. But that really was the moment, for the first time, that the only way to be a good parent, in my mind, is to simply know myself. And be okay with who that is. So that my son can look at me and know that I am who I am and that sometimes I'm happy and that sometimes I'm sad but that through it all I'm living a fulfilling life with and because of him and his mom and myself thank you
0: thank you Sean guys please give it up for Sean and all your speakers tonight they're wonderful
1: come on up here
0: we got two more songs to close out the evening. There we go.
1: Okay, so this next song is awful. No, oh, it's no, bad. No,
0: no, no, this, no. No, this is uh, the song. Uh, this, no, this, is this is not is,
1: awful? No, this is great. This is a good this song. This song is by request. <laughs> oh, right. So, oh, remember, message me my, my
0: apologies. At some hour of the evening that I shan't disclose <laughs> two nights <months> ago. to <laughs> <laughs> so say, hey, man, I really would love it if you could play this song. And I understand if it's too late, but I'd love to hear it. But, and here's the thing, Charlie. That song that you requested, it lives in here. <laughs> I haven't played it for probably two years, but it lives in here. It's like riding a bicycle. This song, uh, ch- the version Charlie wants is by the band, but you know, it's it's by it's by the man. Uh, if I'm if we're talking about authentic artists, this dude is on some real shit. This is Bruce Springsteen. The song is called Atlantic City. One two.
3: Chicken Man in Philly last night They blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk They're getting ready for a hell of a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in From out of state The DA can get no relief Gonna be a promenade The gambling commission is hanging down by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby that's a fact, maybe everything that dies, someday comes back Put your makeup on Fix your hair up pretty to put my money away, but I got debts that no honest man can pay, so I drew what I had from the Central Trust, and I bought us two tickets on that Coast City bus, everything dies, baby that's a fact, maybe everything that dies. job but it's so hard to find Down here it's just winners and losers and don't get caught on the wrong side of that line Now I'm tired of coming out of the losing end So last night I met this guy I'm gonna do a little favor for him Everything dies Baby that's a fact Maybe everything that dies someday comes back, but you'll make a on fix yourself up, pretty meet me tonight in atlantic city right, i need you guys meet me tonight in atlantic city meet me tonight in atlantic city come on and meet me tonight yeah up. Atlantic city. come on Top five
0: Bruce songs. There's not many left for me to do on this show. I think crew it all night is all that's left and you guys don't even know that one. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like your stories, you might also enjoy friendshipping. host Jen and Trin discuss friendship, particularly between ladies. They tackle the tricky stuff, like how can I make friends as an adult, how to end a toxic friendship, and more. Friendshipping can be found on iTunes as well as friendshipping.simplecast.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
1: Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.